morning, God. We're just so thankful for your hand on our life, Lord, for your presence here with us this morning and for your, your voice, your willingness to speak to us today, Lord. You've got a message as a church and you have a person as we sit here, Lord, and you're speaking to each and every one of our lives, Lord. I pray you make us sensitive to that, Lord. Um, Help us to hear your voice today, God. We're, we're so thankful for your promises and the promise to be with us, to meet with us here, Lord. We love you. Uh, we just give you this morning, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Uh, so last week we left off. Jesus is in Galilee. Is the, the year of popularity for Jesus. He's traveling through Galilee, um, and he was in Capernaum. And it says, you know, as he's leaving, the people wanted him to stay. And he says in verse 43 of chapter, in verse 43 of chapter 4, uh, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities uh, because for this purpose I've been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. I don't know, that sound funny. Does this sound funny to anyone? A little bit, right? Dial, dial her in. Kevin's a pro back there. Um, so Jesus here in, in verse 1, I'm just going to read the first 11 verses here in chapter 5. It says, So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. That's the Sea of Galilee. He saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out from them and were washing their nets. And then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, to Simon, when he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. From now on you'll catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. So, Jesus here is on the Sea of Galilee, and a great, great kind of a great place to church plant, uh, the Sea of Galilee, um, a little lake ministry there, but, but tons of people were coming. It was exciting. People were, had, had hope. They had life. There was, there was purpose. It was different than what they had been hearing in, all the, in the synagogues before. Like when they had gone to church, this was way different. Jesus was bringing life to the word of God and truth and hope. And people were excited and people were responding to the message. Unfortunately, we're going to see this crowd. This is the year of popularity. This crowd is going to dwindle. Jesus, it'll be, I think, in Luke chapter 8, where Jesus talks about the parable of the sower, where the, where, where the guy goes out, the, the farmer goes out, and he plants his seed, and he sows it wherever, right? He's probably got one of those little Scott's uh, yard things, and he's twisting it, and the seed's going everywhere, right? Well, that's the picture, what people would have a bag, and they would sow their seed, and, and it would land on different ground uh, and have a different effect. One would land on on and get robbed right away the birds of the air would come and rob them but 
three quarters of that seed, when Jesus does that, has that teaching, three quarters of the seed looked amazing at first, right? It, it grew and had some, it looked okay for a little while. But then each one of them, uh, one was on stony ground. It had just a little bit of earth. It blew up. And then it went away. And then the next one, you know, it grew up, but then so did the weeds and choked it. But then there was one that grew up and it lasted. And we're going to see, and we won't look at it. I'll probably reference it again as people begin to leave uh, the presence of Jesus and his teaching. And they won't, they won't stand for it anymore. They don't want to listen. And it says, you know, many people departed and walked. Many of the disciples walked not with him anymore. Right? But right now, it's a time of, time of excitement. People want to be healed. They want to hear what Jesus has to say. This is fresh and it's new. And maybe that's what it is for you guys today. Maybe there's some newness, some freshness to God's word. Uh, but we're praying that it lasts, right? There was, there was 25% of that seed that actually took, right? Um, and then it says, so it says, the multitude pressed about him. Luke's gospel, uh, Mark's gospel said that, that, uh, that they were pressing out of measure to hear the word of God. It was fresh. Jesus had this, you know, taught the same exact things, probably many things that they had heard from the synagogue, but what Jesus was saying had life. And he was just st- standing by on the edge, on the beach uh, of the lake of uh, Gennesaret, it's the Sea of Galilee. And then it says this, he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out from them and they were washing their nets. So that was common. I remember visiting Kevin and Angela. They live on Lake Victoria, Kevin and Angela blank blank that we support. They live on Lake Victoria. And I remember, uh, and I maybe mentioned this to you guys before. The first time I ever went there, we pulled in in the middle of the night. That's often when, when you get to Africa. For some reason, all of our flights are in the middle of the night. Then you drive all night, and you're beat, and you, you show up. So we showed up. It was several-hour drive to, to their place in the middle of kind of nowhere, but they're right on Lake Victoria. And I didn't know where the first time I went. And we get out of the, the van. They've got these, these vans that you know, they, jam, they cram people in like sardines and throw luggage on top, 50 things of luggage. It's crazy. And I'm looking out over this. It looks like a city. Uh, and, but, you know, you wake up in the morning and there it is. It's, it's, the, uh, it's Lake Victoria. And what you saw at night was all fishermen. Tons and tons. Looks like millions. It looked like a city. And they would have a lantern and, and the lantern would draw the fish up to the surface, and then they'd net these things, tilapia and these things that are kind of like sardines. Well, the Sea of Galilee has the same type of fish. They have like these sardine-type things and a, uh, a type of tilapia there too. And so maybe that's exactly what, what the, the same way they would fish. They would fish at night, maybe with lanterns or, or whatever, and the fish would come to the surface towards shore, and they'd net these things. So... The boats were all come in, they fish all night, and then during the day, you know, that morning when they come in, they wash their nets, fold them up and put them back in the boat and get some rest, and they get ready to do it again at night. They fished at night. So these guys are tired. Uh, we're going to find out that they didn't catch anything, so they're kind of bummed out too, right? Uh, if you've ever bum- been bummed out, gone fishing, and 
didn't catch anything or hunting. If anyone had that experience yesterday uh, and you go out and you don't catch anything or you miss something, that's a bummer. Um, so these guys are, you know, folding up all their nets, washing their nets. And Jesus tells Peter, we're going to find out, you know, tells Peter, hey, take me out a little bit from shore. So Peter's probably thinking, all right, I'll do it. Fine. Jump in. Jesus and, and Peter already had a, a little bit of a relationship. So he goes out from the shore and he begins to talk and teach. And we don't know what he's teaching. You know, maybe he's teaching on Moses uh, and the burning bush, you know, because Jesus is going to call these guys to follow him, to go deeper, calls them to a deeper walk. And that's what Moses is out there. He's loving the Lord, walking with the Lord, just being a faithful shepherd, serving Jethro, his father-in-law, and there's a burning bush. And Moses goes over and looks at it and like, what is this? And God begins to speak to him out of this burning bush, a personal message, something that God is like, Moses, I want, I've got a mission for your life. I've got a plan and a purpose for your life. And then, okay, what is it, Lord? Well, you're going to go deliver my people. I've heard their cry. And then Moses is like, wait, 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 who am I? Who are you? You know, I send somebody else. I can't talk. Uh, they won't listen to me. Moses has all these excuses, right, of why he can't do what God's asking him to do. Maybe Jesus is teaching on that. We don't know. Jesus just taught, you know, off the shore. And, and it's like, a, it's like a, a megaphone. If you guys have ever fished or been on the lake, whether, and when there's fishermen out there, you can hear everything they're saying, right? Because it like amplifies off the water. And, and so Jesus you know, goes out a little further and he begins to teach. It's easy. Everyone's listening to him. And Peter responds and, and goes out uh, a little bit from land. And, and Jesus is teaching this in verse 4. When he had stopped speaking... He saw it on their face. He's God. He knows they didn't. But it's obvious these guys came in empty-handed, nothing, right? And that's a bummer. That's their profession. That's their job, their livelihood. And so often the way it is, you know, you go to church and there's a general message, you know, whatever it is, a teaching out of the Bible. And there's a message. But then for Peter, there's a personal message, a personal application. On personally on his heart. So I'm teaching up here, and while I'm teaching up here, just going through the Bible, God is speaking something to every person here. He's tapping everyone on the shoulder, and he's got something to tell you, right? And that's what you want to be in tune I have to say, what God wants to tell you. And that's what Jesus is doing with Peter right here. He says, all right, Peter, now I've got, I want to teach you something. Uh, and and you, if you don't have this underlined in your Bible, you could or at least take note of this. Jesus says, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch, plural, like more than one net. And Peter probably, and you know, speculating, you know, he's got several nets, right, that he's using throughout the night. Some might get torn. Some might get, uh, he might use more than one at a time, but he definitely has more than one net. And Jesus says, hey, go let them down for a catch. Go out into the deep uh, and, and very specific to, to, um, to Peter here. And Peter does what my kids do. You know, sometimes you read the Bible 
And, you know, the circumstances are terrible. It looks bad for the children of Israel or the disciples. And then here comes the scripture, but God. And you're so thankful for that because then God steps in and fixes things. But God, we love that. You can look it up in your Bible and, you know, do a, 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 you know, a, a Bible search, a concordance search, but God. But when it says God asks you to do something and it says, but Harley, but Peter, but, you know, this is what happened. Usually that's not good because it's saying that you're not doing what Jesus has asked you to do. And it says this, Peter, let down your net for a catch. Go out into the deep, let down your nets. And Simon, but Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. I'm going to let down one net. Uh, Lord, you don't know. I'm like on the Bass Pro Tour here. I know how to fish, when to fish. I do this all the time. You don't catch fish in the deep, number one. You catch them in the shallows. You catch them at night. You catch them with a lantern. You catch, there's, I know how to fish. But I do know one thing. I should be listening to you. I should listen to you. So I'm going to let down one net. I'll give it a try just to make you happy. And really, I think Peter's thinking, Lord, I'm going to prove you wrong. You know, you know the Bible. I know fishing, right? But Peter's going to realize Jesus knows everything. And, and the key to life, the key for you and the key for me is to know the Bible and listen to what it says. Because God has a personal message for each and every one of us to walk with him, for our life to be fruitful. And, and this, so here's the message for Peter. He's, Peter's going to learn, not only does Jesus know how to fish, he'll, he'll learn that Jesus knows everything. B- Peter thinks that he knows how to, you know, he, he thinks that he knows how to, I don't want to say sail, but sail the Sea of Galilee, whatever, and not only can still the storm, but get you to the side. So many lessons in Peter's life that he learns that we can reflect on and learn from that Jesus is our master. A better you know, parent, friend, what's that look like? Help me, because I don't know. You know, sometimes we think we know. But Lord, Simon says, you know, I actually know. And we're going to see Peter gets totally discouraged. He's like, depart from me, Lord. I know that after this, leave me alone. Like you're going to be done with me. But nevertheless, Peter says, at your word, I'll do it. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. Peter probably thought, I wish I would have threw the other net in. What was I thinking? So his one net is breaking now. So he had to signal to their partners in the other boat to help them. And they came and filled both boats and they began to sink. Jesus doesn't look at Peter and say, you're a loser. You never listen. You never do what I say. What is your problem? Forget it. You're not getting anything. Nothing. You're not going to get one fish. Right? Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus meets Peter right where he's at in the little bit of faith that he had. A little bit of faith to say, you know what, Lord? I don't necessarily agree. I don't think it's going to happen, but I'll throw in one net. Try it. 
And he throws in the one net, and Jesus is like, great, because I've wanted to bless you. I want you to listen to me. I want you to be obedient, even a little, because I want to show, show you how much I want to bless your life. I want to show you what I can do with a life that will just listen a little through my power and my strength. Just listen a little bit. He doesn't ridicule Peter or mock him or threaten him. He just straight out blesses him, right? And we see something. Jesus is in a boat. Jesus is in a boat, right? So the, the, his pulpit wasn't just on Saturdays at the synagogue. His pulpit was wherever, everywhere he went, right? And your pulpit isn't, you may never teach from this place right here. You, might, you may never stand behind a pulpit. You may, you may not. But you know where your pulpit is every day if you're a Christian? It's on your job. That's your pulpit. It's at school. It's wherever you go. You have the opportunity to share Jesus Christ and his message. Wherever you are, you should. Jesus just jumps in Peter's boat, and that becomes the sounding board. That becomes the place where, where Jesus is able to speak so much truth. And Peter's boat was available. Just gave it. Yeah, here, jump in my boat, Lord. Go ahead. Say whatever you want. Right? How many of us are, are if God says that to you, hey, let me jump in your boat. I got something to share with someone. Are we like uh, inconvenienced, put out, scared, whatever? I can't do that. It doesn't make sense. That's your pulpit. God has given everybody here a pulpit to preach the word of God, to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everyone has it. Everyone here, if you're a Christian, there's a platform for you, a boat that you're to speak the word of God from. And Jesus doesn't ridicule Peter, but not only was the net breaking, both boats begin to, to sink, it says in verse 7 or verse 6. Verse 7, that's ultimate success. For Peter, that is like, the mother load of fish, like filling up both boats. They're both sinking. Like this is, is the pinnacle of a career. Like this is it. Now I know how to fish. Now I've got some money, some resources to move forward in my life. Now I can extend. I can build, buy more boats. I can buy more nets. I can hire more help. This is crazy. We have so many fish. Look at what I can do with these resources. Peter's probably thinking that maybe because this would be like a crazy haul for Peter. He's never done this before, sinking both ships because of the fish. And he would make a lot of money. It, it, it measured revenue. And it says this in verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Peter is repentant, humble, sorry. Peter's broken over the fact that he was like, Lord, I know how to fish. 
I'm going to let down one gnat. He's broken over his response to Jesus. And he says, depart from me. He's probably wondering, because if you've blown it before, maybe you've blown it one too many times. Or maybe you've blown it to the wrong person. And you know, if you do that, they cut you off. That's the end. You had your chance. I've given you 10 chances. Right? And Peter's probably thinking, all right, Lord, you can leave. I get it. I'm not as good as I thought I was. I'm not the guy I thought I was. I'm not the friend I thought I was. I'm not the follower I thought I was. I'm not the Christian I thought I was. You can leave. You don't have to stick with me. Go ahead. Depart. And Jesus not only doesn't depart, we're going to see Jesus gives Peter a greater invitation to go deeper in Christ. To do more for the kingdom. To walk with him closer. Peter, does, Peter, the Lord doesn't say, that's it. You're right. You should depart from me. You, No. God takes him deeper. Jesus doesn't ridicule him. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O oh Lord. And he and all that were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that were taken. People were shocked over what had happened. They were blown away. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 with me for a second. People knew Peter. People knew the type of guy he was. People knew that just everything about him, especially his partners, the closest to him. James and John, his brother Andrew, these guys that were in his life, these guys that probably brought their, that brought their boats out, and they all began to sink. They saw something in Peter. They saw something in his life. They saw some, not only did they see the fish, but they saw the humility, the brokenness, the change in this guy. The difference. And that's what people see in your life and my life, right? When you encounter Jesus in a real way, when he's your Lord and your, your Savior and your Lord, when he's master of your life, when you want to do what the Bible says, when you're walking, man, the, your life begins to transform, even if it's in little bites, little things, right? That's Peter, like, I'll let down one nut. Fine. It will blow people away, the change, the difference from who you were to what God's making you, turning you into. Because that's when, when Jesus saw Peter, we read in John chapter 1, he says, Simon, son of Jonah, you know, uh, and he says, he says, you will be called Cephas. I know who you are right now. I know exactly who you are. I know your attitude, your 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 fiery temper. I know all these things about you, but I'm going to make you something else. I know what I'm going to do with your life. I know I already have it planned. And that's the same thing with your life and mine. God already has it planned, what he wants to do. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says this. Paul's writing the, the Corinthian believers. He says this, you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, verse 3, you are an epistle of Christ 
a writing ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tables of stone, but on tables of flesh, that is, on your heart. That There's a difference in your life, and you're an epistle. Your life, listen, people, long before they ever read the Bible, long before they ever read the Bible, they're reading your life. They're watching your life. They're watching how you act, how you talk, what you say. That's why Paul says, man, you're a living epistle, known and read by everybody. That's what your life sounds out. It should be an example. to the world of what it means to be a Christian. It should be a major difference from who you were to who you are now. And it says this, verse 10, Also there were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. Don't worry, I'm not going anywhere. Don't be afraid. From now on, You're going to catch men. The invitation, don't be afraid. I'm not going anywhere, Peter. But from now on, you're going to catch men. (laughs) Listen, I've got something greater for your life, Peter, if you respond to it. I have more for your life. You're You're going to catch men. So often God looks at a life. He'll look at your life and what do you what do you do? What's your career? What's your profession? What are you good at? You know, that's what he did with Moses. Moses is complaining, what you know, how can I do this? What what am I going to do? How I can't I can't lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. This is like crazy. Pharaoh won't listen. <laughs> they won't listen. You know, my people won't listen. You know, this is not going to work and God says, "What's in your hand?" Like a staff. I'm a shepherd. That's all I am. You're right. What is in my hand? It's just a shepherd's staff. I've been doing this for 40 years. I'm just a shepherd. I'm not a deliverer. I'm not. And, and God says, Moses, throw it on the ground. And Moses throws it on the ground. It becomes a serpent. And Moses is freaked out. Like, I've been carrying around a snake for 40 years. Like, he has no idea that there's a snake. God can do whatever he wants with a life. What's in your hand? Is it a pen? Is it, are you, you know, personable? What, what's your life consist of? Because God wants to use your pulpit. It's, it's, and it's amazing because you don't even know it's there until you give your life to God. And then until Moses responded, all right, fine. I need a helper. All right, here's Aaron, your brother. Fine, I'll do it. Throw that thing down on the ground. What the world? You know, Moses thought he knew that whole thing. Imagine, it's like a carpenter with a hammer, man. You you know, you need an S-wing. You need a certain ounce or, you know, whatever it is. Whatever your craft is or your trade is, there's certain tools you have that you know so well. You know how to use them. And, you know, if someone else tried to use them, they're going to fail. Moses knew that staff. Every nook and cranny and picked out, he cut it off. He had it. It was worn out but he had no idea the potential that it had in it if you give it to God. It's the same with your life. You have no idea the potential of your life until you lay it down and say, here, Lord, here's my life. You never know what's inside until you give it to God. And and he says, don't, Peter, I'm not going anywhere. But 
You're not going to catch fish anymore, Peter. You're going to catch men. But here's the reality that happens to people. There's a temptation. Peter will be tempted. This won't be his last fishing trip, right? You'd think it would be, but it's not. We're going to read that he forsakes all, sells everything. Like, Lord, I just want to follow you. In the next verse, we're going to say, see, he forsook all. But it's not his last fishing trip. Why? Because he's tempted. He's discouraged. At the end, uh, Jesus dies. He, he, Jesus, or Peter denies him and is, you know, just totally discouraged. And after the resurrection, even, Peter's still discouraged. And he goes away and he tells some of, the, some of, his guy, some of the guys, some of the disciples, hey, I'm going fishing. I'm going back. I'm leaving. They say, you know what? We're going with you. Fine. And there's seven or eight of them jump on a boat, right? And that's the reality. The devil always has a boat for you to jump back in. Here's your old trade, your old career, your old life. Here it is. Don't you think it was better there? It was easier there. It was easier not being a Christian. It was easier not being vocal for the Lord. It was easier. And there's a boat. And you can ask Jonah about that, right? Just so happens there's the boat. Jonah's like, obey God. Nope, I'm jumping on that boat, right? It's going to be better there. And Peter does that. You know what? God meets him right there on the sea. Jesus yells out, hey, you guys catch anything? Nah, another night, fished all night, and we didn't catch, you know, the song that you teach your kids, fished all night, didn't catch anything. He says, why don't you cast on the right side of the boat? I wonder if some of the guys were like, wait a second, cast on the right side? What's the difference? This boat's only six feet wide. Like, cast on the right side? Well, that means you're casting on the wrong side. You're doing the wrong thing. Cast on the other side, and it says they had this huge net full of fish, another one. After Peter had gone, God meets him so faithful. Hey, come back. Remember me, the guy that, that how this started? You caught all those fish? I'm still here. I haven't departed. I'm still right here, not going anywhere. And Peter jumps in the water. It says he throws his fisher coat off him, jumps in the water. He knew it was the Lord. He swims back to shore. So verse 11, when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all. Doesn't say just Peter, all of them. Let's all do it. Let's all sell our boats and follow Jesus Christ. The net, the boat, the business, the fish, everything. To follow Jesus Christ. What does it take? You know, a rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, hey, well, how can I inherit eternal life? He says, I, you know, you know the law. You shouldn't murder. You shouldn't steal. You know, gives him the whole list. And the guy's like, I've done that from my youth. And Jesus looks at him. And I think Mark's account says, Jesus loved him. And he says, listen, there's one thing you lack. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and follow me. That's what's keeping you from me. There's something in the way from you following me. That's what you need to do. And it's different for everybody. It doesn't mean everyone's got to sell everything they have. But this, the one thing that was holding this, this young kid back from following the Lord was his wealth. 
It was just church for him, church attendance. It was a little bit of Jesus. There was something that was holding him back from following him. They forsook all. They left it all to follow Jesus Christ. And then it says this in verse 12. It happened when he was in a certain city. Behold, a man was full of leprosy. He saw Jesus and he fell on his face and implored him saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Leprosy was a disease that was a slow growing disease in your nervous system. It was a, um, not a virus. I can't remember exactly what it is. It's not good and you die. There's no cure to leprosy. Now there is, but there wasn't, right? And this guy sees Jesus And he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And when you have leprosy, you are ostracized. And it's a slow-growing disease that starts with a little scab. Maybe you've had one. You're like, what is that? And it goes away, and you're thankful, right? Well, back in Jesus' day, if you started getting a little scab, you started getting a little nervous. Like, What is that? What is that? then it would spread and it was slow. And then pretty soon you realize, oh my goodness, I've got something that's incurable and it's slow growing and slow moving. And, it, and it's a picture of sin in the Bible, leprosy. And leprosy, much like sin, attacks your nervous system. As, it, as you have it, you can't feel anymore. And, and when it's, when it, when right before you die, Mostly people have lost their fingers, their toes, their nose, their ears. It affects their vision. All those things become numb and their blood flow doesn't go there anymore. And in fact, you, you can sleep at night many times like rats would come and, and chew people's noses and, and, and different things. And you would smell. It was putrefying, terrible. Uh, and there's still, it, it's Hansen disease. I think Jake and Stoney have it. Uh, that's the... That's the disease, what it's called. Uh, today, you might know it as that. But it was terrible, and it was a picture of sin. And this poor guy was ostracized. And he says, man, if you're willing, my, I'm dying. This is the end of my life. I'm at the end of my life. He was full of leprosy. His whole body was full of it. It starts out small and just spreads slowly. And this guy is full of it. He says, if if you're willing, you can make me clean. One of the things lepers would have to do, and maybe you know this, they'd have to yell out, unclean, unclean, if they got within like 30 or 50 feet from someone. They'd have to yell that out, and then people would pick up rocks and throw them at them to make sure they didn't come close. Uh, these people were, were very antisocial now. They had, they, you couldn't touch them. He would have to leave his wife, his children, his mom, Whoever it was, he had no family anymore. People couldn't see him for fear of being contagious. And if he loved his family, he would stay away because he was so contagious. And it's amazing. Verse 13 says this, before Jesus says a word, it says he put out his hand and touched him. This guy hasn't been touched in years. Years and years. Nobody would touch him. 
Nobody could come close to him. And Jesus puts out his hand before he says a word and touches this guy. He says, I, I will. I'm willing. Be clean. And it says, immediately, immediately the leprosy left him. And that's what Jesus came to do to sin. He came to heal the world of sin. Because we all, you're born, the Bible says, full of it. We're born sinners in need of a cleansing, a cleansing and a touch. And only something Jesus Christ can do. And he is so willing. He doesn't care what, what you've done or how far gone the leprosy is. This guy was at the end of his life, the end of his rope, the last days of his life. He's like, man, my life is messed up. I wonder if Jesus can help me. And Jesus says, I'm willing. And he touches this guy. And the, the leprosy leaves him. And he charged him to tell no man, but go show yourself to the priest and make an offering for, for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. So this guy would have to look up back in the, the, the Levitical law to figure out what does it take to cleanse a leper? I don't Because lepers weren't cleansed. They, it, people died. People weren't cleansed. And he would have to look up, man, what do I do again? And it's this long process. And this poor guy would end up getting shaved, fully shaved and washed. And then he'd have to stay outside of the camp for a week. And there was a, you know, a ceremony in the temple of, of sacrifices and all these different things, all because one man was, was cleansed. But it touched so many. The priests were looking at it like, what is happening in Israel? Lepers are being cleansed. It's freaking people out. It says, however, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and be healed by him of their infirmities. Tons of people are coming out to see Jesus. They want to be healed. They want to be touched. They want to hear what he has to say. It doesn't last. But one life matters. It's a testimony. And it says, so he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. He often does that. Uh, it's important for Jesus to take time to spend with his father. It's important for us to do that. Take time, whether it's your devotions, a time to pray, a time to get in the word. You got to take that time. And it says, now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there was Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought on a bed, this is in three Gospels, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they could bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down, through his bed, down in his bed through the tiling <clears throat> into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your heart? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you might know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And 
he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And immediately he arose up before them and took what he had been lying on and departed into his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. These guys were critics of Jesus Christ. They were there as skeptics, the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. They're critics. And Jesus just wants to heal a man. It says that he had four friends who brought this guy to Jesus. And a lot of people believe that it was at Peter's house that these guys were like, we can't get through the door. Let's take him to the roof. And we'll pull the, pull the shingles off, right? Imagine that. There's stuff coming down. And, oh, no, here comes a guy in a bed, right? Many people believe that what this guy had is a result of sin and a result of paralyzation from an STD, from a, from a, a, a sexual immorality, that this guy was, was, lived a, a, a promiscuous life and he ended up becoming paralyzed because of sin and he couldn't get to Jesus. He couldn't get anywhere. He was stuck in this bed. And that's what sin does. It sticks you. It's hard to get out, hard to get free. But he's got four friends, and th- we all need four friends like this. I had a friend like this, somebody who just was relentless sharing the gospel and the truth and just continued to tell me about Jesus and tell me about Jesus, knowing that every day, every night of the week before I was a Christian, I was going out. I was going out to party, and this guy was just relentless, faithful. We need to be people like that. We need to be people that, listen, I got to tell you, I'm going to tear the roof off of this place so I can bring you to Jesus. And, and that's, what, that, that's his friends. That's what they did. They bring this guy to the Lord. And, you know, the, you, know you ask the question, what's easier to say? Is it easier to say, you know, take up your bed, rise, walk, or or Man, your sins are forgiven you. Well, it's probably easier just to say your sins are forgiven, right? Because who really knows if they are? But Jesus qualifies it and he says, listen, I'm going to tell this guy to get up and then you'll know that, that you're right. I, only God can forgive sins and that's who I am. And you're going to see the evidence in this guy's life. And it's, it's easy for us to ask for forgiveness. Jesus made it super easy. You only have to believe. You only have to believe. He did all the work on Calvary. He's the one that had the crown of thorns. He's the one that got lashed and beat and hung there for us. He made it easy. And this guy comes in on a bed and walks out on his own two feet. And that's what God does to a life. Makes it so you can walk. You're not paralyzed anymore. And after these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the office, sitting at the tax office. He said, follow me. So he left all and rose up and followed him. Levi, Matthew, he was hated by people as a tax collector. He ripped people off. He was wealthy. It says that that same man, Levi, gave a great feast in his own house. And there was a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And other scribes and Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? 
Like you shouldn't do that. Well, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's why he's doing it. That's why he's doing it. And Jesus answers that. He said to them, those who are well have no need of, of a physician, but those that are sick. I have come to call, not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Right? If people think that they're righteous outside of Christ, I'm good enough. I give, I, I attend church, whatever. Then they'll miss it. They'll, they'll, they won't hear God's calling. But I've ca- come to call the sick to repentance. So they complain, listen, why are you eating with, with sinners? The tax collectors. And then they're going to complain in the next section. They're going to say, why are you eating and drinking at all? Like it's, it's just one thing after another with these guys. They said, well, then they said to his disciples, uh, why did the disciples, they said to him, why did the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? Likewise, those of the Pharisees, but yours, they eat and drink. And he said to them, can you make the friend of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with him? But the days will come when the bridegroom, that's Jesus. He is our bridegroom. He is the groom and we're his bride. If you're a Christian, he says the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. And then will they fast in those days? So Jesus is saying they're praying and fasting. They don't have to do that. I'm right here. They get to talk to me every second. They don't have to pray and hope they get to see me or that they can talk to me. I'm right here. I'm already here. And they can talk to me at any moment. That's like going to a wedding and saying, you know, I'm, I'm fasting today. What? No way. No, give me a double. I went to a wedding down in Pennsylvania and they kept bringing the hors d'oeuvres out. And I was standing by the door where they were bringing them out. And I literally had one of everything. Every time the plate would come out, like, yeah, I'll take another one. Sure. Why not? Just kept eating and eating, right? I was not fasting that day. And that's what Jesus is saying. Listen, if I'm right here, you don't have to fast. They don't have to fast. There's going to come a time where they need to. I'm going to die. I'm going to go away. And then there's going to be, they'll have to seek me. There'll be times where their flesh is strong and they have to set that aside. And then he said this to the scribes and Pharisees. And he's teaching us too. And, And I think we need to be sensitive. I'm going to close right here. He spoke a parable to them. No one puts on a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear. And also, the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. So, like if you put a patch on on pants, like nowadays kids are trying to buy clothes that are pre-torn and they're not looking for patches. But, it, you know, there was a time when people did put little knee patches and different things on and the patch had to be washed first so it wouldn't shrink and everything worked. It wasn't brand new because if you put a new patch on and then washed it and that would shrink and tear what was underneath it. Uh, and then it says no one puts new wine into old wineskins, right? There's a, there's a process going on with the breakdown of, of the grape uh, and the grape juice into wine and it can tear the old wineskins, which was just a leather skin or, a, or it was actually maybe even an organ of an animal. Uh, no one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine bursts the wineskins and it's spilled and the, the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins and both are preserved. 
And no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. And Jesus is making a point with these scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders. Listen, I can't tell you anything new. You guys are locked in on how you feel, how you're going to live, what you're going to think. And and it's so hard to not be teachable anymore, right? If you're you're old enough and, and you feel like there's nothing I can learn anymore, there's trouble. Right. If you're unteachable, if you feel like I already know everything, there's and that's how the scribes and Pharisees felt. They knew the Bible, they knew different things in the Word, and Jesus is saying, "Listen, you're an old wineskin. You're an old piece of garment that that I can't I can't refresh Isaiah 51 to you. I can't refresh you know Psalm 22. I can't explain to you anything because you already think you know it." Right, And that's the same for us. If we come to church and think, I already know what he's going to say. Oh, I know that scripture. We're in Mark 5. You know, Peter's called, the leper's healed, you know, whatever. And you feel like there's nothing else I need to learn about that. Then, then you, you're becoming an old wineskin. We need to learn. We need to grow. There's always something. You know, you can read that scripture all the time. And God says, I want to tell you something. I want to speak to you. I want to tell you more. I want to explain more of my heart. So, Lord, we are so thankful for your word, that it's life, that it's truth. We trust it, Lord. And I pray that if there's anything we need to forsake uh, in our walk with you, anything that's holding us back from going deeper, uh, that we would forsake it, Lord. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you, Lord, that, that they're paralyzed in a personal condition, maybe it's sin, uh, that they can't get out of, Lord, that we know that you want to set men free like you did with the the leper and the paralytic. You touch us, Lord. And we know that. We know you care, Lord, because we look at Calvary. We see how much you love us, Lord, because you died for us. So we give you our lives, pray that you would continue changing us and molding us. Thank you that, like Peter, you meet us right where we're at, Lord. Uh, the Bible says that you're going to complete the good work you started in us, that, that Paul said he's confident in that fact. And we're a work in progress until you call us home, it says. And, and we thank you so much that you're not leaving us or forsaking us, Lord, in your name.